Well, good morning. Happy New Year. It's good to see you guys. Glad to be back uh, after a week off last Sunday. Just glad to be getting back after it. So uh, good to see you in the house today. Before we dive in, I want to get one other thing on your radar that's not a game without Tennessee in it, okay? Just for all you Tennessee folks. Um, In a couple, well, not in a couple weeks, in a week, a little over a week, we are kicking off what we call 21 Days of Prayer. Uh, We did this for the first time last year, last January into February, and what we saw God do over the course of these three weeks, it was so incredible that we knew we needed to build this into our regular rhythm as a church. And so uh, next Monday, starting next Monday, we're inviting our entire church into this period of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, if you're new or newer to Cross Point, the purpose of doing this, it's really, really simple. Uh, We want to start this new year off as a church by intentionally throwing off certain distractions and intentionally seeking God because we know how much we need God. Amen? Again, we want to be a people who seek God because we know how much we need God and we want to ask God to do things in our lives and in our church that only he can do. And, And we really want you to participate. Like if this is the church you call home, this is the church you call family, we want you to be a part. And so we've created some resources to really help you with this. Uh, We're going to publish all these resources this upcoming week, so you'll have them. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll have some paper copies available at the Connection Desk if you're not technologically savvy or if you just like the feel of paper. But it'll all be on our app if you want to download that or on our website. But we've got a Bible reading plan ready to go for you. Uh, We also have a daily prayer guide so you know what to pray for and how to pray. And then finally, we put together a fasting guide because we want you to understand fasting and its purpose and And we want you to know that there are different types of fast you can take part in so that you can pick which one that that you might want to engage, all right? And so just be on the lookout for that. And then lastly, I I want you to to be aware of this because this is a big deal. Uh, Over the course of these three weeks, we are going to meet nine times in this room for some prayer and worship gatherings. All right, we're going to do it three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I'd encourage you to mark your calendars now from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. right here in this room. And that's going to start on the 15th. Look, I know that's early, especially if you're not much of a morning guy like me or a morning lady like me. I I know it's early, but even though it's early, I really want to encourage you and challenge you to be here anyway. Uh, I am a firm believer that there is great power in the people of God gathering to pray. And so I'm asking you to make nine sacrifices. That's it. Sacrifice nine mornings, uh, nine mornings of sleep, and to come early and to be a part of those prayer and worship gatherings right here in this room, okay? If you have any questions about any of this, feel free to ask one of our pastors. We'd be more than happy to help you. Uh, We'll get more info out this week, and next Sunday we'll talk about it again. But I just want you to be praying proactively and be praying for your own hearts that God will get you ready for this. And I truly believe we're going to see God do some incredible things over the course of these 21 days. Well, all right. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, We're going to head to the book of Mark together. If uh, if you're new to Crosspoint or maybe this is your first time back in a long time, last January we started a series in the book of Mark. And we were in Mark throughout uh, all of 2017. We've got about seven weeks left in the book, roughly, all right? And so if you're new, don't be discouraged. Well, oh my gosh, I've missed so much. Look, these last seven weeks, we're getting in some really good stuff. And so if you're brand new, you're jumping in at a great time. But you can go back and watch what you missed on our website if you want to get caught up, all right? But Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 14. 
Well, back at the beginning of December of last year, December 2017, I went to this massive worship gathering in downtown Atlanta. And I would describe almost every person that was there as a sold-out worshiper. Like, pretty much everybody was dressed for the occasion. Throughout the entire gathering, people were on their feet. They were clapping. They were cheering. They were singing, dancing, high-fiving. One of our pastors was with me, Matt Moody, who some of you guys know. And I kid you not, at one point, Matt was running up and down the aisles. Like, I didn't know Matt had that in him, but he just took off running up and down the aisles. It was insane. But the best part of the entire gathering was we won. Falcons beat the Saints that night, 2017, Thursday night football. Come on. Can I get a rise up, somebody? I love it. Now, listen, I know for some of us, some of you are shaking your heads at me. I know it's somewhat ridiculous to compare a football game to a worship gathering. But I have to tell you, what I experienced at that Thursday night football game perfectly illustrates the big idea of today's message and passage. And the big idea is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We'll unpack it. The big idea, sold out worshipers worship without selling out. This is what we're talking about today. Sold out worshipers worship without selling out. So here's what I mean by this, all right? When you love something, like truly love something, When you're truly devoted to something, whether it's your team or your job or your kids or your spouse, listen, you will do whatever it takes to express your love and devotion for that thing, even if you look ridiculous, right? And even if other people think you have absolutely lost your mind. And in our text for today, that's what we're going to learn and that's what we're going to see. Sold out worshipers, don't miss this, sold out worshipers of Jesus worship Jesus without selling out. Sold out worshipers of Jesus worship Jesus without selling out. And to make sense of what I mean by that, we're going to just dive in and get to work, all right? So Mark 14, if you're already there, we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 1 together. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. Here's what Mark tells us. He says, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, in these 11 verses, what we find Mark doing is using this literary device called intercalation. It's a device he's used throughout the book numerous times. And what he's basically done is sandwiched one story in the middle of another story. Okay, so he starts one story, and he tells us that just two days before the Passover, 
And we're going to talk in detail about the Passover next Sunday. So I'm not going to go there today. Be back next week. But a couple days before the Passover, that these religious leaders in Jerusalem were trying to figure out how to arrest and kill Jesus. But they took no action because they were a bunch of cowards. Right, bunch of Jewish people had traveled into the city to celebrate Passover, and these leaders were worried if we arrest him and if we kill him, these people could turn on us, there might be a riot, so we're just going to wait. Well, you jump down to verses 10 and 11, and Mark finishes that story. He actually says that Judas, one of the 12 disciples, comes to these religious leaders who want Jesus dead, and he offers to sell Jesus out betrays Jesus by agreeing to to turn him over to these leaders for a certain amount of money. Well, in the middle of that story, Mark includes this story, this other story, that almost seems out of place until you understand what he's trying to do with it. It's this story about this woman who anoints Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful story. Now, what I find interesting is that when you read the same story in the Gospel of John, he gives us some details that Mark leaves out. Okay, so for example, John tells us that the woman who came to anoint Jesus, her name was Mary. Uh, Mary had a sister named Martha, had a brother named Lazarus. They were all really good friends of Jesus. And what I love about Mary is every time you find her in the Gospels, she is at the feet of Jesus Christ. This woman loved Jesus deeply. John also tells us that this story of this anointing, it, it took place about six days before Passover. So in other words, this happened about a week before Judas agreed to betray Jesus. And this is where we see Mark's literary genius, all right? Don't miss it. Mark is not concerned with placing this story chronologically in his gospel. So in other words, he doesn't really care when it happened, just that it happened. And he uses the story thematically, meaning that he places it where he does on purpose, in the middle of this other story, and he does so to contrast for us as readers a sold-out worshiper of Jesus with some sellouts. And as a result of doing so, look, we get a beautiful, beautiful picture of what sold-out worship actually looks like. And for the rest of our time together, that's all I want to talk about. I just want to talk to you about sold-out worship, its, its characteristics, its qualities, what makes it what it is. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to get ready to write some stuff down, all right? The first thing to know about sold-out worship is this. Sold-out worship is a response. And please hear me. You have to get this. The rest of the message hangs on this point. And so if you miss this, you miss it all, all right? Sold-out worship is a response. Mark tells us in verse 3 that, that Jesus was in this little town called Bethany. Uh, it's a town about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus all lived. And so Jesus is there hanging out in the house of this man named Simon, who was formerly a leper. It's believed that Simon could have been healed by Jesus himself. And so maybe Jesus is at his house just hanging out, having dinner, celebrating his healing. But as Jesus is laying there, reclining at his table... That's how people ate in this culture during this time. They just laid on the floor and ate at these short tables. As Jesus is there, Mary comes in the front door of Simon's house, and she walks up to Jesus and just pours this bottle of ointment over his head. In the Gospel of John, John tells us that she also anoints his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, I don't know about you, that seems a little weird to me. I mean, can you imagine that? Like you're hanging out, having dinner at somebody's house. And one of the neighbors comes in the front door, and she walks up to you and just pours her entire bottle of essential oils, like, all over your head. And then, 
and then she starts messing with your feet, right? It's, it's really weird. But Jesus calls that really weird act a beautiful thing. Mary has just done a beautiful thing to me. He even goes on in verse 8 and says, Mary just prepared my body for burial. She anointed my body for burial beforehand. You see, if you remember the story, Jesus died the death of a criminal. And so after dying, nobody prepared his body to go into the tomb or into the grave. That's why when those women on Easter morning came and found the tomb empty, that's why they were there. They came after the fact to what? To anoint the body Jesus. Well, Jesus is going, that's good. Mary just took care of that for me. She just anointed my body for burial, which raises the question, well, did Mary know what was getting ready to happen in Jesus' life? Like, did Mary do this proactively or even prophetically knowing that just a week later, Jesus would be put to death? Well, here's how I'd answer that question. I don't know. And you don't know, and we can't know because the Bible doesn't answer that question for us. All we know from the text is this. That Jesus saw this really strange act as a worshipful response. Please don't miss this. I need you to understand that Mary didn't come to Simon's house looking to receive something from Jesus. Are you with me? She didn't come and, and do this nice thing for Jesus in hopes that Jesus would do something nice for her. This was not Mary trying to earn her way into the good graces of Jesus, nor was she simply going through religious motions. This was Mary worshiping Jesus out of love for Jesus in response to who Jesus was and how deeply Jesus loved her. Now listen, to make it practical for us and to help us understand how to apply all that, I thought I'd take just a moment and speak back to the imagery of that new song we sang earlier, that song about the reckless love of God. I don't know if that song moved your heart like it moved mine, but both gatherings so far, I've just been down there kind of like wiping my eyes. It's just powerful to think that the God of the universe loves this broken, sinful man that deeply. <laughs> that song, it's birthed out of a passage found in Luke 15. In Luke 15, we find Jesus talking to some religious leaders who are mad at him for hanging out with sinful people. And so Jesus, to address their disdain for him, he decides to tell them a parable. And it goes something like this. He says, hey, guys, which one of you who has 100 sheep, if one of your sheep ran off and got lost, which one of you would just sit back and go, that's fine. It's just one sheep. I mean, I've got 99 other sheep. I, I, don't, I don't need one. What's one compared to, to 99? Like, parents, you get this, right? I mean, if one of your kids got lost, would you sit back and go, that's ah, good. I mean, I got a few others, so I'm all right. You know, the one who wandered off, I didn't like him much anyway. I'm, I'm going to be okay. No, you don't do that. What do you do as a parent? You, you leave those other kids with somebody who's hopefully responsible, and you do whatever it takes to hunt down that lost kid. Well, Jesus is going, the same is true when it comes to that man and all those sheep. If a man has 100 sheep and, and just one wanders away, he leaves behind the 99 and he goes into the open field and he hunts that sheep down. And when he finds it, he puts it on its shoulders and he carries it back home and then he gets his friends together and they all rejoice that he found his lost sheep. Look, what's the point? What's the point in regards to this point? Well, it's really simple. Listen, when you begin to understand that in the sight of God, you were that lost sheep. And that God, in his great love for you, he put on flesh. And he left his throne in heaven. And he pursued you. He left the 99, if you will, and he came after you. 
and he gave his life for you. He literally picked a fight with hell and came out victorious for you. Gave up his life in your place for your sins. Rose from the dead to snatch you out of sin, death, and hell forever so that he could put you on his shoulders and one day carry you safely to be home with him. Like when you understand that and you also understand that as a result of your salvation, all of heaven rejoices over you, repentant sinner. All you can do is worship Jesus in response, amen? Listen, I, I want to be clear here because I don't want to go away from this too quickly. I want to make sure you understand what I mean when I say worship. Uh, you do understand that I'm talking about more than just singing, right? Like I think at times when that word pops up, that's immediately where our brains go. We think of Pastor Kyle up here like serenading us and leading us in song. And uh, that's one way we worship. In fact, it's one of my favorite ways to worship. I love worship by singing. But, but I mean so much more when I use that word worship. I, I'm talking about a lifestyle of worship here. I'm talking about you living all your life all for Jesus all the time because you know and understand that Jesus gave his all for you. Practically, here's what that looks like. It, it looks like you, like all those things you do for Jesus, you know, like you come to church and you serve and you give and you try to be nice to people and you don't drink or smoke or watch rated R movies or whatever else you don't do, right? All these things that you do or don't do for Jesus, you don't do those things any longer just to mark them off your checklist. Went to church this week. Okay, awesome. Um, nor do you do those things to receive anything from God. Why? Because you understand that in Jesus, you have received all from God you'll ever need. You don't even do all those things. Don't miss this. Some of you need to hear this. You don't do any of those things to make up for past sins and mistakes. God, I'm going to prove to you that I'm serious about being different now, so watch how good I can be. I'm going to make up for all those awful things that I've done. Do you know Jesus gave his life for you to make up for all those things? All those things back there, all those things that you're going to mess up and do today. Jesus even paid for all the sins you're going to commit in the future. And so when you worship Jesus, look, all those things you do for him, you do in response to what Jesus has done for you. That's sold out worship. Sold out worship is a response. 10 o'clock, are y'all with me? I need to make sure you're getting this because, again, if you don't get this, you're going to miss the message. Sold out worship is a response. The next thing you need to know about sold out worship is this, is that it can be costly. It can be costly. We see it in the text. Uh, Mary comes and she brings this small flask of ointment and she pours it over Jesus' head. That ointment in that little flask, it's what's called spike nard, which is kind of fun to say. What do you think about it, right? Like, why don't we just say it all together right now? Ready on the count of three? One, two, three. See what I mean? I told you. You guys are going to leave today and you're all going to be saying it. Spike nard. So it was this ointment that was made from a root of a plant that had to be imported from India which means it was very costly and very, very expensive. In fact, it was so expensive, and this is what we learn in verse 5, that this little bit of ointment Mary brought, which was probably somewhere between 8 and 12 ounces, it would have cost somewhere around 300 denarii. Now, I know that means nothing to most of us, so let me tell you how much money that would be, okay? Um, a single denarius, one denarius, was the day's wage for an average worker. 300 denarii would have been about a year's salary for an average worker. And so what Mary did in this moment, by pouring out this ointment over Jesus, it would be like the person who, let's say, makes 50 grand a year today, giving up 50 grand in a single moment, all for the namesake and the glory of Jesus Christ. What's the point? Well, it's simple. 
um, I need you to know today that sold out worship at times can be costly. Look, if you want to live a life of sold out devotion to Jesus Christ, if you want to treasure him above all other things in life, live a life that makes much of him along the way, it's going to cost you some things. It's going to cost you uh, pride and ego, every ounce of it. And I need you to know that God is willing to do whatever it takes in your life to rid you of pride and ego, no matter how painful it may be. Um, it might cost you certain relationships, relationships with friends, family relationships. Nobody knows what that's like, do we? Like nobody's got any family members who think you're crazy because you love Jesus, do you? Yeah, yeah, it's going to cost you certain things like that. It might cost you your reputation. It'll cost you financially at times because God owns everything and you're just a manager, a steward. And so he puts everything that you own into your hands and then he asks you at times to give certain parts of it back to him. Um, I would even tell you that at times it's going to cost you certain dreams, aspirations, or goals that you may be holding on to. You know, I've experienced this personally in my own life. I've shared this with you before, but my dream was never to be a pastor. My goal was not to do what I'm doing right now, okay? My dad's a first-generation Christian, for crying out loud, so I don't come from a family full of pastors. I'm the only pastor in my entire family, which means I get to pray at every single family meal, okay? <laughs> James, lead us. All right, whatever. Like, I'm it. My, my goal and my dream since middle school was to be a doctor. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to spend my life cutting people open, putting them back together, and making a ton of money doing it. And, and I even started college pursuing that dream. I, I started working on a biology degree, was going to go pre-med, go to medical school, uh, do whatever I needed to do to accomplish this dream. And then my freshman year of college, God hijacked all my dreams and plans. I was working with students at this little church that I grew up in. And God tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, James, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And so I found myself laying all my dreams and all my plans before the Lord going, okay, God, if, if that's what you want for me, I'm willing to lay down all this other stuff. Like, I'm just telling you, you want to live a life of devotion to Jesus? It's going to cost you some things. But here's where you can take comfort. Please don't miss this. Regardless of what your love and devotion to Jesus may cost you, there is never a reason to sell out because all the benefits you have in Jesus are greater than whatever you might lay down. Amen? In other words, let me say it like this, and, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. I, I need you to know today that you will never give up anything for Jesus more valuable for, than Jesus. Let me say it again. You'll never give up anything for Jesus more valuable than Jesus. I also need you to keep in mind, though, as you pursue and follow Jesus and, and lay certain things down, not everybody sees it that way, okay? Which takes me right into the next point. Sold-out worship will be criticized without fail. It's costly, but sold-out worship will also be criticized. And again, this is something we see in the text. Mary comes in, and she pours this expensive ointment over Jesus' head, and then Mark says some people in the room get mad at her, indignant. John goes on to tell us that, that Judas was the ringleader of this anger. He was the guy who spoke up and said, why did she just waste that ointment on Jesus? Can we think about the ridiculousness of that question? Why did she just waste that on him? We could have sold that ointment for a whole lot of money and given it all away to the poor. 
And now I, I know if you're somebody who's new to church or unfamiliar with the Bible, you could go, well, that sounds noble. I mean, let's not beat up on Judas too much. It sounds like the guy had a good heart, really cared for poor people. Well, no, he didn't. And John tells us that. He goes, Judas didn't ask that question because he, he cared about poor folks. He asked the question because he was a thief. You see, Judas was the treasurer amongst the disciples, meaning that he was the guy in charge of the money bag. And in John chapter 12, John tells us that at times Judas would just help himself to whatever was in the bag. And so I imagine Judas, as he's watching this lady pour this expensive ointment out onto Jesus, all he's thinking in that moment is, wow, there goes money that I could have stolen from. We could have sold that. and I could have had a lot more to pull out of the bag at times. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, what do we just do? We could have helped a lot of poor people with that. Well, I just need you to know Jesus' response. We got to talk about this for a moment because I don't want you to be confused by it. Really interesting. He says to his guys, hey, you're always going to have the poor with you. And you can help them whenever you want, but I'm not going to be with you much longer. Now, I need you to understand right away, Jesus isn't hammering on poor people here, all right? It is very, very clear in this book from cover to cover that God's heart is for the poor and for the suffering. Um, it's also very clear that as the people of God, and this is why we do much of the ministry we do here at Crosspoint in this community and all over the world, that as the people of God, our hearts should be for the poor and the suffering, so Jesus isn't saying in this moment, don't worry about all those poor people. He's just saying, guys, I'm not going to be here much longer in the flesh with you. Remember, he'd die about a week later. And he's going, look, while I'm here, you should do for me what she just did for me. You should prioritize me over every other relationship and responsibility in your life and express your love and devotion for me in intentional and tangible ways. Now, would you look up here for just a minute? Because I, I don't want you missing this. I, I need you to understand this morning, that call is still the same for us today. Jesus himself calls us as his followers to prioritize him over every other relationship and responsibility in life. But what I need you to know is this. If you actually do that... Look, if you actually put Jesus at the center of your life and, and he takes precedence over anything, anyone, and everything, look, some people are going to criticize you for it. Some people are going to condemn you for it. And it happens in rooms like this, right? Some of us will come in and we'll raise hands and we'll sing out loud and we'll say amen. And, and other people will look at us and go, that dude's weird. That chick needs to calm down, right? Criticism. And then it happens out there. You start living your life devoted to Jesus, and people look at you and go, I can't stand him. That, that chick needs to cool it. If she would just stop talking about Jesus so much, like, I, I might be okay with her. People are going to criticize you along the way. In fact, some people are going to look at you, and they're going to go, what a waste of a life. Which is a great reminder to me that we live in a world today that is fine with nominal Christianity. You know what I mean by that? I mean, we're living in a world right now that is fine with your faith in Jesus as long as your faith in Jesus doesn't affect the way you live. People are okay. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Okay, great. But if your belief in Jesus starts affecting your daily life, well, well then it's a problem. You see, sold-out Christianity, which is the only type of Christianity that exists according to Jesus, there's a lot of people in our world that don't like that. And can I just be bold enough to say that's even true for some people who claim to be Christians? I'll give you an example of what I mean. I can't tell you how many young men I've talked to who have come to me and said, James, 
I believe that God is calling me to do with my life what you're doing with your life. God is calling me in a ministry, calling me to be a pastor. And I'll celebrate that with them and go, awesome, you need to start sharing that with some people. And then these young men will go home and talk to their Christian parents and tell their Christian parents, here's what the Lord is calling me to, only to have mom and dad look back at them and say, really? You know there's no money in ministry, right? That tends to be the common theme, money. was the theme in Judas's life, right? Greed. You know there's no money in ministry, right? And then they'll follow over. You really want to waste your life like that? Parents in the room, can, can I just speak lovingly but directly to you for just a moment? I, I love you as your pastor. And so I, at times I just need to say some hard things to you. This might sting a little, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Parents in the room, we all have to remember a couple of key things in regards to our kids. Number one, we need to remember that our kids do not belong to us. They are the Lord's kids before they are our kids. He has entrusted our children to us. And as parents, our job is to ensure that our children are not only good citizens of this world, but productive citizens of the kingdom of God. And so if God's dreams for your child look different than your dreams for your child, the best advice I could give to you is get over it. And you need to lovingly encourage your child to walk in the calling of God on their life, regardless of what it may cost them. Look, I'm just trying to help you here. Look, I'm telling you, live a life devoted to Jesus. People will criticize you, and at times people you never thought would criticize you are going to criticize you. But here's where we take ultimate comfort. And here's, where, uh, or here's why sold-out worshipers of Jesus can worship Jesus without selling out. I love it. This is where we'll start to close our time. It's because sold-out worship is celebrated by Jesus. What a beautiful truth. Sold-out worship is celebrated by Jesus. I love verse 9. It's probably my favorite verse in this entire text that we read today. In verse 9, Jesus celebrates Mary. Right, he says to his disciples, leave her alone. She did this beautiful thing to me, uh, anointed my body for burial. And then he goes on and says, listen, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the entire world, what she's just done for me, it's going to be told in memory of her. And it is, right? Her, her story is included in the scriptures. And here we are talking about Mary today. Isn't that awesome? She's celebrated still by God's people for what she did on behalf of Jesus in worship. But here's what I need you to understand. What was true for Mary, like Jesus' celebration of her, it's still true for us today. Do you know, do you know that Jesus delights in, takes pleasure in, celebrates the sold-out worship of his people? Listen to what Psalm 149 says. I, I love this. Beautiful psalm about worship and praise. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Look at this next part. For the Lord takes delight in his people. The God of the universe celebrates us. He takes pleasure in his sons and his daughters. He crowns the humble with victory. And so the psalmist goes on and says, let his faithful people rejoice. Let his sold-out people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. Listen, in light of this, in light of the fact that God himself delights in his people, 
here's the question I want to end with. All right, if you're that person in the room who's living in response to the great love Jesus has shown you each and every day, like you're that person who is striving, and look, this doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that, that you're making progress by the grace and the help of God, right? But you're that person striving each day to, to love Jesus, live in devotion to him, and you know Jesus celebrates you and delights in you and, and takes pleasure in you. Look, here's the question. Does it really matter what anybody else says or thinks about your love and devotion to him? Does it really matter? And here's the reason I ask. I'm convinced biblically that if you and I want to truly live as sold-out worshipers, there has to come a point in all of our lives where we stop caring what anybody else thinks or says, and we only care about what Jesus thinks and says about us as his people. And look, it's got to be true in here on Sundays. Like, I'll just share my heart for a moment. Do you know, I pray for us all the time that we would be an expressive people. That when we come in here on Sundays, we wouldn't be scared to express our love and devotion for Jesus. And I know I've talked to people in our church who are still scared to do that. Well, man, I I really wish I could sing out loud, but I can't really sing, and I don't want to upset my neighbor. James, I've thought a hundred times about raising my hands, but I just can't bring myself to do it. I'm just scared. I pray we're not those people. I pray we're those people who show up every week at Crosspoint. We go, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to throw my hands up, and I'm going to sing out loud, and I'm going to shout amen, and I can't dance, so I'll do this little sway thing if that's what i got to do. I'm just going to do every single bit of it in response to what he's done for me. I mean, he's, he's done so much in my life. How could I not express my love and devotion for him? But look at me. It can't stay contained in here. It's got to go with us out there. Right? I, I pray that we'd be those people who every time we leave this place, we would go, I don't care what anybody out there thinks. I'm going to love well and serve well, and I'm going to name Jesus, and I'm going to pursue holiness. Because at the end of the day, I'm living for an audience of one. He's the only one I'm concerned with. And as long as I know he's delighting in me and celebrating me, I'm fine. I don't need the praise or glory that comes from anybody else if the God of the universe who saved me is busy praising me as his loved son or daughter. Here's the only other option. And with this, we'll be done. The only other option is that we can be a bunch of sellouts. We can walk the path of Judas. And we can treasure lesser things over Jesus. We can be greedy for the things of this world, power, pleasure, status, money, praise of man, whatever it may be, and sell Jesus out, betray him for our own benefit. My hope and prayer for Crossboy City Church is that we wouldn't be a church full of Judases. We'd be a church full of Marys. That when people think of Cross Point City Church, they would think of a bunch of people who are willing to look foolish for the sake of Jesus willing to lay things down for the sake of Jesus. We don't let criticism rattle us because we know that God is praising us. That's my prayer for us. But I know we need the help of God to get this right. And so right now, I just want us to pray together that the Holy Spirit of God would go to work in us and to help us be those sold-out worshipers. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. And we just want to say thank you today for your great love for us. I thank you that you gave your all and you gave your best when we had nothing to offer and when we were at our worst. 
thank you for coming after us, for pursuing us, for, for not letting anything stand in the way of your great love for us. And God, we just want to ask you, God, would you work in our lives in those areas that, that still need repair, that, that still need to be restored? God, would you give us courage and boldness, especially as we live in a world that it seems is just walking in the opposite direction from you? Give us what we need to stand firm, to live for your glory and your honor, to be bold enough to say yes to you even when it's difficult. And God, I, I pray that Cross Point City Church would be a church, a, a city on a hill, if you will, a reflection of your glory, this community and the world, that anytime people look at us, all they see is Jesus in us. And so Holy Spirit of God, do what you need to do in our lives to make us more like him. God, I, I pray finally as we respond in the next few minutes that you would just sweep through this place. God, pour out your spirit. We don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss what you want to do in our lives today. And so, God, we give you this time. Would you have your way in our lives? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to invite you to stand to your feet, if you will. And we're just going to close our time together today by worshiping in song. And look at me. I want to give you permission to be expressive and free in your worship. Now don't be distracting. <laughs> you hear me? Because it's about Jesus. It ain't about you. But if you've been that person, well, I've been scared. Not a, Look, just quit worrying about it. And let's worship the one who gave us all for us. Can we do that? Kyle, come and lead us.